I'm Jamie Wheeler. When my daughter, who has autism, turned 18, the programs we depended on suddenly stopped, although her needs did not. So I started Austin's Autistic Adventures, a nonprofit dedicated to empowering autistic adults and their families. Much like our nonprofit, this podcast aims to spark candid conversations and build community. Welcome to Autism Unplugged. Welcome to Autism Unplugged. So joining us uh, a little late today, which is totally my fault because I originally intended to have another episode recorded today and forgot to tell Laura about the change in plans. But I'm so glad you're here and your voice is always welcome in our roundtable discussions. So IEPs are something we had just begun to discuss, an IEP, an individual education plan. Can you talk about some of the paperwork issues that you faced with Harry? And if there's something you could have changed about it along in the process, if there's something you know now that you didn't know then that would have been helpful? So I'm Laura Likes, and I am the mother of uh, Harry, who's 24. And he hasn't been in school since he was 18. So some of the paperwork as far as things like IEPs and stuff, we haven't had to deal with for a while. And to be honest, when he was in public school, it was much more of an issue. And then for kind of junior high and high school, he was in a private school that was specifically for kids on the spectrum. And IEPs went from being just a nightmare to being a really fun opportunity for people who really loved and got your kid to talk about what was going on with him and where we could improve things. But obviously, that's not, you know, an option for everybody. So I don't know if I can speak to that very much. I mean, there's definitely, now that we're Harry's legal guardians, there are things really, you know, related to that. I don't know how to make it easier. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of it comes from mandates from the government and I don't know that there's a lot you can do with it so yeah it never stops for me because my daughter receives both SSDI which is supplemental social social disability insurance not it's not the same as social security my um, daughter's father is disabled um, so we do get money from this from the government for, for her for that. We also are her legal guardians, and I don't know about your guardianship, but every year I have to have someone come to my home, inspect my home, speak to Austin on her own. I am not allowed to be in there while she is questioned. Those things are are, they're hard. I mean, I'm a good mom. I keep a clean home, but every time I have that happen, I feel just a little bit diminished. I don't understand if they found me competent to be her legal guardian. And every year they have to make sure that I'm still... And I had to pay a bond. I had to pay a bond. Wow. $500. I wonder if that's a county difference. Because it must be. we had to do that initially. Um, and of course, Harry's nonverbal. And so they spoke to him, but not yeah. without us not there. But we don't have to have someone visit every year. And And you're right. There is sort of the... Did he suddenly or she suddenly magically become non-autistic since last year? Like, come on. Right. Well, Elisa knows this horror story, but um, I bought my own my first home on my own um, last year, and I almost lost it because the underwriter did not understand that autism was permanent, and he kept telling me her paperwork needed to have a defined date. 
Oh, we literally almost lost our house because of this idiocy. So having to explain that autism is a lifelong condition, I, it was just unbelievable. How can anybody in this day and age not know that? Well, you my underwriter that? didn't know it, <laughs> yeah. and he wanted a piece of paper that said she gets this amount of money for this defined amount of years. And it's never going to say that because once you – getting SSDI – SSI is a process as well, but SSDI is lifelong and it will not change. So they are very cautious about who, to whom they give these dispensations. Sure. Having to explain to this 22-year-old underwriter again and again, and I kept proving it and proving it. So anyway, <laughs> I could go on about that for a while. But I guess my point with the theme of if I knew then what I know now what I would advise parents, especially as your kid is coming to like sixth grade to ninth grade, is to find out what lists they are supposed to be on for help. Oh, I know. We have missed out on a lot of that. And I hear people talk about the lists, the lists. And I guess in our dream world, it's not that Justin was going to get better, but we as a family would take care of him. And of course, Hopefully, I mean, we have he has other siblings um, that if something happened to my husband or I or when and he still needs support, they'll be around to do that. Um, but we did not file for legal guardianship. He's pretty compliant. And what we have is what they call shared decision making. Supported decision making. Supported decision making, which is a is legal in Texas. It is not guardianship, but it allows me to discuss with him and his doctors or his teachers and have access to his medical and educational records so that I can help him make decisions. So that's right. that's another option. It's a little bit less paperwork, and I'm sure there are a lot of reasons why guardianship would be better. I just don't know them because I'm not a lawyer and I haven't talked to one. So, right, we have the same. We have a supported decision making uh, agreement with Trinity as well because she, you know you've met her. She's quite bright. She's quite verbal, except for when she's overwhelmed. And we have high hopes that she will be able to conduct herself independently and live an independent life with support from friends and family, you know, once my husband and I have are no longer here. Um, but we're setting up that support network and deciding who among our family and friends are people that we would trust mm -hmm. to support her. But some of the paperwork you have to keep their medical diagnoses and their their diagnoses paperwork for in perpetuity. I mean, you know, you, because you're always being asked for that, these bundles of paper, mm -hmm. you know, oh, we need a copy of her diagnosis. We need a copy of this. And, you know, and it's just the amount of, I finally put it all in a jump drive because it was just too wow. much to make copies of. Yeah. Because, you know, the diagnosis paperwork alone is usually 40 or 50 pages. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's, and I probably couldn't tell you where mine is now. I was going to say, I don't know. I mean, he was diagnosed at two, so I don't know where that is. It's long gone. Really? Oh, I've been <laughs> yeah. asked for it multiple times. Wow. Um, recently, you know, she goes to Non-Prail Academy, and I had to provide all of that. And, yeah, so you have to kind of corral all that paperwork and keep it handy. And, like I said, I, I finally scanned it all because it was just – easier, cheaper than having to copy it all the time. That's definitely one issue. But I think another is the just overwhelming 
amounts of things they tell you you have to do. I was given a binder when Austin graduated from sixth grade that was this thick. I was, you know, gone over it in her IEP meeting, but it was so overwhelming. I finally got her on the class. It's, I can't remember what the acronym stands for, but it, it provides some like respite money and other funding for people who, who have that need. I put Austin on it at 18. She is not eligible for it until she is 30. That's how long the waiting list is. And I'll tell you something else that is messed up about the system. Uh, one of our other moms, Amy, um, her son Daniel has likewise, he's in, what's Daniel, 32 something? Just a few years ago, she was, it was her turn, it should be her turn to come up. And instead of emailing a letter, anything, they made a phone call. And when they can't, couldn't get a hold of her, it's click and on to the next one. And this, they luckily had called her emergency contact, who was her sister, for some reason answered the phone. She normally, like most of us, wouldn't answer a number we don't know. If she had not answered that phone call, um, Daniel would be back on the list waiting. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. But, you know, the, the instances of autism, when Austin was born, I think it was one in five. It may have been one in a thousand. I can't remember. But it was... Now it's one in 48. And mm -hmm. there's five. What was this? Do you remember the stat on, I think it was 500,000 500, kids, mm -hmm. uh, young adults are graduating from high school in the next 10 years. And that statistic is two years old. So what's going to happen to these lists now? So I'm saying to parents, if you have a child young, just like our advice for should you get a, a label or not, go ahead and apply for it. If you don't need it, then great. But if you do like me, I, oh my gosh, I could use some extra money and respite care in my life. That would be fantastic. Um, but I have another four to s 10 years to wait, probably. Yeah. I mean, when we looked at some of the assistance offered by the state and the feds, I mean, the waiting list is usually at least 10 years long. So um, I, I'll be honest, we have gotten, we have not signed Trinity up for almost nothing yeah neither because I. it's, it's so glass. discouraging it is it's so discouraging but, but it, you almost need an advocate just to work your way through the yeah. system and yes. they don't come cheap either no, no they do we not. hired advocates for our iups at school because we just it was so confusing and they were a godsend but yeah it doesn't come cheap and you know i think in some ways we've been fairly lucky in that we've had the you know financial resources to be able to pay for a lot of this out of pocket because when we first, you know, Trinity started um, occupational therapy, OT, you know, insurance didn't pay for that. You know, it was all out of pocket. And when they did finally start paying for it, it was in half hour blocks. And I mean, half an hour of therapy is just not that useful. So, well, you know, we continue paying for it out of pocket. But, you know, and but then again, having those financial resources actually meant that we couldn't sign her up mm -hmm. for a lot of resources because they're like, well, you make too much money. It was like, well okay you know but i'm shelling out this much money and you know that's frustrating too but yeah those the length of time on those lists and the even when you are qualified for resources resources you know you know i've talked we've been trying to work with texas workforce commission on job training and job coaching and it's just oh more paperwork a 
and it's just so slow and they promise you things and it's you know a year before they come through and by that point you've moved on you know and just yeah. crazy I don't, I, it's it's frustrating it's very frustrating definitely um, let's talk about dealing with doctors and dentists and what did what did you learn then or what you, what would you Wish you knew then what you know now about dealing with the medical profession. From my perspective, we got incredibly lucky. I mean, her pediatrician is was wonderful and very helpful when we went to her first and said, you know, we've it's been recommended that Trinity have some sort of evaluation because of this, this, and this. And she was like, okay, great. Here's a, here's a referral to a psychologist. And once, you know, or the developmental pediatrician is yeah. usually who they send you to. Yep. Yeah. And For those us, are it hard was to find. To a psychologist. Oh, but yeah. yeah. So, I mean, maybe ours was a little different. But, you know, and when we came back with the diagnosis, I mean, she's never batted an eye and she's always filled out the paperwork that the schools demanded. And, you know, so that's been that's been great. We haven't I've never felt like I've had to educate my doctor. Oh, boy, I wish that. I could say that. I know, I know, and I, oh, I know I'm in a minority on that, you know. And yeah, when Justin was, um, when we were figuring out what was going on on our own, the pediatrician was like, "Oh, he's he's too young. You, he'll outgrow it. it. It it's there's nothing." And tell you what, what's worse than that, I went back to the obstetrician that delivered him, and I had mentioned that because he had asked about how my son was, and this was many years later when I was in for another reason and he said i said well he's doing fine he, you know he has autism and he goes well it's not my fault <gasps> what like i was accusing him of doing wow. something wrong i was like no of course not i don't know doctors seem defensive oh well yeah that's one mm. thing i had to really get over quickly when i first well look I'm gonna, i want you to speak to this too because harry has the condition that makes him unable to speak is that correct mm -hmm. Go ahead. Tell us. Tell us about Harry's diagnosis and how you found that out. Well, Harry was about fifteen months old and went from being a very kind of easygoing, happy child, kind of overnight, to not. And I went back to my doctor and said, "It's like somebody flipped a switch. What's going on here?" And she actually sent us to um, have his speech evaluated, and it was the speech therapist who said, you know, he doesn't make eye contact. And I was like, what do you mean? He makes eye contact fine. She's like, yeah, with you, not with anybody else. And then eventually we went to, you know, like a developmental center, and that's where he was formally diagnosed. But he also has oral apraxia, which means essentially that it happens sometimes with people with strokes. It's like the signals from your brain are not getting to the muscles in your mouth. How did they determine that? Do you know? I think that, I mean, we went, you know, as probably lots of people can have similar experiences, you know, the, the initial diagnosis, but then we went to Johns Hopkins and then we went, you know, so it was like somewhere along the line, someone determined that. I can't remember exactly how. It's almost more like a neurological like something a neurologist would discover. Yeah. No, did he ever have any kind of testing? Uh, well, he, when he was 15, he had a seizure. And then this whole kind of seizure disorder has kind of come on, which is not atypical. Um, but that wasn't happening when he was a child. So 
It wasn't a neurologist at that point. I don't really remember. But we went through, you know, I think 15 years of speech therapy, you know, every week. I mean, probably 50 weeks a year. And I remember with insurance with that, they were like, well, well when is this going to improve? You know, it was like, right. well, you think we don't want that to happen. <laughs> right. Like if we knew that. So I think they finally eventually stopped paying for it insurance. And then we just kept at it for a while until just we decided 15 years was enough. Right. Um, and what was the other part of the question? Have you had any pushback from pushback. doctors on his oh, uh, diagnoses? Um, when he was a child. Not really. I mean, there definitely is some education now, and we don't have, I mean, he's had several different doctors as an adult. Unfortunately, he's, other than the seizures, is pretty healthy. But in the six years we've been here, almost seven years we've been here, he's probably had three different doctors that he's seen, you know, maybe once or twice each. And yeah, there's always this sort of explaining what's really, you know, kind of what's going on. And they haven't been horrible, but it's not been great. And when we lived in Winston-Salem, which is where we, in North Carolina, which is where we lived before here, he was going to a special, um, to a pediatric dentist, even though he was 16 years old. Um, And that was helpful. And then they finally got to the point, especially because he's so tall, where it was like, we really don't have the ability. <laughs> right. And so Our we, chairs are too small. Harry's a six foot six. Six. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we had about a year of trying to find somebody else, and we went to a special needs dentist that really wasn't good. But since we've been here, you know, we live in Frisco, we go to a dentist in Flower Mound. It's 35 minutes away. That's a um, pediatric dentist, but who also sees um uh, you know, adults, special needs adults. But if he has to have, I mean, he has so many sensory issues. If he ever has to have drilling or, you know, anything like that, he has to be completely sedated. And then we have to drive to Fort Worth, you know, at seven o'clock in the morning. And last year he had to have his wisdom teeth out. But fortunately, that's a special needs dentist. And he arranged for the the oral surgeon to come to his office, do the extraction, and then they did like his regular cleaning and stuff while he was out. I love that that story just because <laughs> I can see your head clicking through all the steps. And that's how we all are. Everything yeah. that is for neurotypical people take for granted. Our life is 20 times, 40 times, 50 times harder for the simplest things. I'm talking about doctors. I I I just eschewed special needs doctors because there weren't there weren't any for one thing yeah. dentists and doctors. But I have a wonderful dentist and a wonderful eye doctor, and they're both so good with Austin that I've told all my autistic friends, <laughs> and, and yeah. now they've kind of become the person who treats. But it's not official. But you know, we just we all network. I think that's one thing yeah. people don't understand about. Our community of parents. If you know something good that's happening, we're going to share it or bad, right? The same thing. Do not go to this person. They may say they're good for special needs, but mm, I don't see any evidence of that. So, yeah, that's, that's one. I mean, I turn to, you know, I'm on a lot of uh, like Facebook groups and Reddit groups, and I turned to them when Trinity needed oral surgery last year. And um, I might want to get your dentist name, by the way, because <laughs> I live in Louisville. Um, 
And that's how I got her oral surgeon recommendation of he doesn't he's not special needs, but he works really well with autistic. So when I called the office and I talked to her, they were they were great with her and they put her know, she had to be under completely as well. And um, and yeah, because her pediatric dentist, she just had a checkup and she's finally gotten to the point where she'll let them polish her teeth because for a long time, for sensory reasons, they wouldn't. And it has to be the non flavored stuff because she doesn't do any of the flavoring. And they've said, well, you know, probably in the next appointment, we really need to talk about transitioning her to a, an adult dentist. And I'm like, eh. you know. I just had to do that with her pediatrician who, who told us that she could come forever. But apparently her medical group has something else to say about it. Yeah. So, I'm worrying about that. That's yeah. next coming, that yeah, I'm going to have to transition her. Of course, she's already, um, you know, we have girls. So the OBGYN's another one. Um, I yeah, done any of that. So, I hate to say well, it. I haven't done any she, of it. She is going to my OBGYN, but they don't have to do a physical exam till they're like 21, so which is good. But I'm already prepping her for what that entails and what that means. And yeah, All things that, that the parents of boys don't really have to work about. Right. It, you know, parents, of, you know, I mean, you might have a little about. discussion with a neurotypical 19-year-old, but... Yeah, it's just, it's so much all the time. It, it is a lot. It's a lot. Um, and, you know, I was going to go back a little bit. You know, I talked about her pediatrician's been great. Well, that, I didn't get her diagnosis till she was nine. So that pediatrician's been great. But now I'm thinking back, I'm, because she passed all her milestones, I'm wondering if I had taken her to the pediatrician when she when we lived in California and said, I you know, I, I might want to pursue this, how much pushback I might have gotten because, of course, you know, well, she's meeting all her milestones and blah, blah, you know, so all of them, except the speaking part, all of them. So yeah, uh, Laura, you had something you wanted to say. Oh, I was just going to quickly say, talking about, you know, the dentist and things, I mean, remembering when Harry had to go to the dentist when he was like three, and I would make Daryl take time off work. And he would sit on Daryl's lap and Daryl would bear hug him and I would hold his head straight. And it was this trauma for everybody. Mm -hmm. And now, I mean, the last couple of years have been certainly way, way better than that. But we're finally to the point where I, you know, I'm in the room, but I'm sitting in the corner looking at my phone and he, I don't have to sit there and you know he used to be where he would try and push their hand away and stuff Mm -hmm. and he doesn't do that anymore and it was the same with haircuts it was like somebody had to bear hug him and somebody had to hold his head and he screamed and it was traumatic for everybody and you know now he can get his haircut fine but that was a lot of years and a lot of going through that and there might be other little kids who don't particularly like to have their haircut but I don't think it's that level of trauma for that long for everybody involved. Right. Let's right. talk blood draws. Oh mm-hmm. my yeah. gosh. Mm-hmm. Trinity, I mean, like yeah. like you were the dentist, the first time she had her blood drawn, she was probably maybe about eight and I had to she had to sit on my lap and bear hug her and I just felt so or bad. Has, has anyone's doctor ever used a, the papoose method? Yeah, we oh, did. They yeah. strap them so, to practically a backboard like they're that's what you they know, had to do to yeah, Austin. But she was flat that's out terrible. refused blood draws until we finally, because she gained weight so rapidly, but we, I think that was because she went off some meds, but the doctor was really concerned about her thyroid. I really have to get a blood draw. So at 18, she had her, she hadn't had a blood draw in like 10 years. And we actually found um, that there's a home phlebotomy service. So they'll come to your home. And I just made a note. I that from you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll have to look it up. I now remember, but um 
and they actually came to our house and I had meant, you know, when you're filling out the paperwork again or the online form and I said, you know, my daughter has autism. If you have anyone who's somewhat familiar and they sent a couple of great people that that's did really well to have, because yeah. then they had to come back and do it again because the doctor had added on tests and they didn't take enough blood the first time so she went through it but mm-hmm. she handled it like a champ I was so proud of her that's great but yeah it's, I mean last time Harry had blood drawn was probably 10 years ago and he was already he wasn't 6'6 six, six, but he was over 6 feet and I think it took 6 people to hold him down I think that's like Logan right and isn't that what Justine yeah. has to do with Logan so you know, there have been times when it's been recommended to us, and I'm like, no, we just, that's not an option. I'm sorry. But if we should ever really absolutely have to have it, it would be nice to have somebody who could come and do it in the home. And I don't think it would be quite like that anymore, but it's definitely a problem. Yeah. And I guess the, you know, back to the, if I knew then what I know now, things, do get better. Um, I wish I had known that then because when you're going through it, that's very true. Feels yeah. like it's never gonna change. It's never gonna end. It's always gonna be. It does get better. Um, things do improve. You know, I just feel like hope. we measure our pro- our. I think we measure. We have to measure our progress differently, though. I mean, we measure our progress by inches, where somebody with a neurotypical child might measure it by a mile. You know, it's just like, it's oh, those baby so steps, good. baby steps for us, and mm-hmm. every little teeny win is something to celebrate. Definitely, reach out to us at Austin's Autistic Adventures. We can help you navigate some of those things, or at least give you someone to commiserate with, because we're a big weird family and we we love our kids and we love each other and I don't want to discourage anyone who's listening to these stories I really want to encourage you but we also want to be realistic about some of the things that might be problematic down the road and if you have a heads up about some of those things all the better so thank you so much for listening and thank you as always to my wonderful guests Um, couldn't do any of this without you learn more by visiting our website at austinsautisticadventures.org and follow us on Facebook.